Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. And today, listeners, I've got Corey Sullivan. She's a divorce recovery coach. And we're going to be talking a very fascinating subject today. And that is around how to successfully heal after divorcing a narcissist. And I know this is a, a very sort of trending topic at the moment. And we're going to be really digging deep into exactly what that is and what the symptoms are, what the traits are, and how you can overcome that situation if you find yourself in it. So warm welcome to you, Corey. Well, thank you, Lynn. It is my honor and pleasure to be here with you today. And mine too, to receive. So getting straight into it, Corey, um, tell me a little bit about yourself, because I believe you're happy to share your own story around this subject. Yes, um, fortunately, I have, well, I have been married just a very brief time to a narcissist, but I have known other people who are narcissists. I had a stepmother that's a nar- that was a narcissist as well. So um, pretty familiar with the subject and the behavior and that type of thing. I myself um, have been married and divorced four times. Um, my first marriage was 10 years. I had two beautiful daughters, but we just, we were so opposite of people, you know, we how we ever got married in the first place is both my girls go like, what? <laughs> they don't get it, you know, because we were really and truly opposite people. The second one was a rebound marriage, which um, was short-lived as well, and, or was short-lived. And then um, I married the guy I thought I would be married to forever. And um, after nine years of marriage, um, we were we were definitely totally on different paths. So we divorced. And um, then I had another rebound marriage. So I warn you all, everyone, <laughs> men and women, do not do the divo- or the rebound marriage after divorce, because it's just harmful to everybody involved. But, um, but this fourth one was a narcissist. And I just didn't see the red flags at first. Um, because I, you know, he hid them very well, which a narcissist, a true narcissist will hide their issues really well until they feel like they have you. And then all the gaslighting and all the behaviors and everything start happening. Right. So let's explain for the benefit of the audience and let's get clear on what are narcissistic traits. You know, what, what is the true definition? Because, you know, we were speaking a little bit off air and uh, discussing that, you know, quite often people are quick to label their partners a narcissist when actually they're not actually, <laughs> you know, it's just probably right. some sort of trait that uh, doesn't actually make them a narcissist. Yeah. I think, you know, we all have things that trigger us and make us angry. And um, so if you are with someone that has, you know, does get angry, like maybe they've had a bad day at work, or maybe um, finances are really challenging right now, or 
you know, just all kinds of things that trigger people um, and they become angry as a result of that. That is not a narcissist. Um, in fact, that would almost make them be relatively normal because a nor narcissist, um, red flags for a narcissist are that they will take no responsibility whatsoever for being wrong. It is always your fault or, you know, the other person's fault or somebody else's fault or the situation's fault. It is never their fault. They take no responsibility ever. They spin the story to make you out to be the bad person in the relationship. Like you're overbearing or you're, um, you know, hard to deal with or just, you know, all of these things. But when in fact, they're just spinning the story to make you look bad. Their nature is always to put themselves out there in the best person as the best person in the world. And um, that there is something wrong with you in order to even be thinking about leaving them. You know, because why would you want to leave a perfect person? <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Um, one, uh, you know, another one is they are always in it to win it. It doesn't matter what it is. If, um, they take competition to the nth degree. So if, if you are in a situation where you're, maybe you're wanting to lose weight and they will do it, not because of anything other than they want to, they want to lose weight and make you look bad. Like you, you can't lose weight or you're not losing it as fast as they are and they will do whatever it takes to make that happen. Or, um, you know, couples get into competitions sometimes for different things and usually it's lighthearted. However, for the narcissist, it is, it is, I will win this because I'm in it to win it no matter the cost. Um, they will do their very level best to destroy you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and even physically sometimes. And that they become, um, they become physically abusive, typically at some point in their relationship, simply because that's just part of their power, or they think that's part of their power. And then they take things out on your family members as well. So like if you have children at home or sisters, brothers, you know, nieces, nephews, parents, they will take it out on the family members as well. And, um, and that's when, you know, because they think everyone is fair game for them. And yes, it is a game that they're playing so that they can come out on top. So they might even create the issues that everybody's arguing over and then come out on top by being the hero of, by resolving the issues, you know, but in doing that, they'll spin the truth so that they look good and everybody else looks bad. So they don't even care about facts. Facts don't matter. The material proof doesn't even matter for that matter. Um, those things mean nothing to them. Their narrative of being the victim is really all that matters because they paint themselves as the victim and everybody else is against them, you know, a lot of the times. So 
if any of those or a couple of those ring true for you, yeah, you might be in a relationship or you might have just finished divorcing or divorced in the past a narcissist. So um, those are some of the some of the red flags. Yeah, and you explained those very well. And um, I think it's fair to say that, you know, this doesn't necessarily need to be labeled, as you mentioned, your mother was a narcissist uh, uh, towards men, necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, women are narcissists just as many as men, you know, just as much as men. Um, and it's a behavior that they've probably learned from a parent or someone they emulated as they were growing up. So do you think that behavior can be unlearned or do you think, you know, some are born with it, like those traits, so to speak, and it's just who they are? I don't believe that anyone is ever born with the narcissistic traits. I believe that they do see them and they are mentored to them as they grow up. Um, so they become, they feel like, well, that's who I want to be. I want to win like that person. Or, um, you know, if it's a parent or, you know, they side with, with whichever parent is going to keep them the safest. And right. sometimes the narcissist doesn't take their behavior out on their biological children. They uh, sometimes, you know, use them as their confidant, you know, kind of get them into their little circle of confidentiality and, um, you know, pull them in some way. Um, they're very, you know, narcissists are very, um, can be very deceptive but in a way that you just don't recognize it. You know, um, a, a typical pattern is they will, they will do all kinds of things to draw you in, <clears throat> excuse me, to be, um, to be somebody that you really want to be friends with, or you want to, you fall in love with or whatever. And, you know, there's just they go, Oh, we, I just so appreciate how you're treating me. And this is wonderful. And then once they know they have you, then it's like they want you to do something, but it may be very uncomfortable for you and um, doesn't feel right, doesn't seem right, but they want you to do it at all costs. And so they will what they call gaslight you and just which is ignoring you until you comply. And then when you comply, then everything's rosy until the next thing they want you to do. That is, a, that is a standard practice of a narcissist. Can you give me some examples of, firstly, what your experience from your mother as examples of um, that sort of behavior? And then next, what you experienced, which may or may not be different or the same uh, in your marriage? Um, well, my mother, it was my stepmother. It was my dad's second wife. And, um, and so what she would do is she would, she would buy things for me and take me places to get my hair done. I was a senior in high school when they married and, um, just, you know, did some things for me that I just had never had done for me before. And I just thought, oh, cause my mother, my biological mother had not been in the picture very much. 
So this was like, oh, this is what it's like to have a mom. She goes shopping with me. She takes me to get my hair done, you know, and all these amazing things that I just really wanted to have, you know, have the mother-daughter experience. Well, once that happened and we were, and I was comfortable in that, when I did not do something the way she wanted me to do it, or I did not comply with something she wanted me to do, she would yell at me and then she would not speak to me for days, sometimes weeks, give me the total cold shoulder and make me feel like I wasn't part of her group anymore. You know, her, I wasn't in her good graces anymore. And um, until I complied and then I was in her good graces and then it would start all over again. How long was that a cycle for you? Did that last quite a few years throughout your sort just, of formative teenage years? Actually, just one year. Um, I was I turned eighteen and I moved out. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> with my sorry, no problem. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, can edit that out. So, um, with my. Uh, husband my rebound marriage he was very charismatic he took me places um we uh i enjoy country dancing and he was an excellent country dancer and so that was always fun um we went to very nice restaurants um he brought me flowers often and i just allowed him to sweep me off my feet i was so not on guard at all and um, and we got we got married rather quickly after we started dating, which was the first mistake because narcissists can't keep that persona up for very long. And um, he proposed to me within three months of dating, and in a hot air balloon. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> so with a breakfast, it was early in the morning because hot air balloons go either early in the morning or late afternoon. <clears throat> and um, he, they had a breakfast by a lake after the um, after being in the hot air balloon. And he proposed to me in the hot air balloon with a sign down on the ground that was in huge big letters, please marry me or marry me, Corey. And I just thought, wow, this is the man of my dreams. I've never been treated like this. On our honeymoon on the third night, um, he started an argument at two o'clock in the morning and I woke up out of a dead sleep. He starts this argument and I'm like, what is going on here? And, and it was some about something that had happened, you know, a week before we got married and we, I thought we had resolved it. I didn't think there was any issues with it. And, um, in fact, I, said, well, maybe we need to hold off on the wedding. No, no, no. It's just I have cold feet. That's all. I'm just having cold feet right now. And I said, yeah, well, me too, a little bit. So I just took that as, okay, and um, we're having cold feet. We'll move on. And we had the, we got married. And uh, he was, so he wakes me up at two o'clock to argue about this situation a week before. And then he doubles up his fists like he's going to hit me and he hits the wall behind my head and I thought what have I done I've never seen this personality out of him before and then he was very apologetic after that which is another trait they 
they blow up and then after you they realize that they probably scared you a little bit um then they're oh you know i'm so sorry you know i just am not sleeping well or i didn't you know whatever and that was his excuse i just wasn't sleeping well kind of had a bad dream but when we got back from our from our honeymoon he told me that he had dreamt that he had choked me to death in our in my sleep and i go wow that's kind of crazy wow, you must, we didn't even have pizza for dinner last night, you know? So I, you know, inside I'm going like, what? And he had done a couple of other things on our honeymoon. And so right after that, I went down, met with my pastor and then a therapist and then went and got the divorce papers because I knew he wouldn't give me an annulment and uh, proceeded to move forward on divorcing him. Wow, as quick as that. You was, you know, uh, I suppose, wise enough and savvy enough not to let it go on for for years or decades like some people do when they're in uh, unhealthy or toxic relationships. And um, almost what within what sort of short period of time did you sort of get married and divorced or start divorce? Um, uh, Within 10 days. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Because um, he had done a couple of other things and I had done some healing um, from my, my, uh, you know, my stepmother um, and her behavior, you know, prior to meeting him. And so I realized, I started to realize that he was displaying full on textbook narcissistic behavior I had no desire to be in that relationship at all I was not going to be anybody's punching bag I was not going to allow anybody in my family to be a punching bag verbally or emotionally or physically and um and I just but I was so ashamed that I had done this you know gotten married and then divorced in 10 days but I did go in and talk to both, you know, my therapist and my um, pastor. And they both said, you know what? He didn't represent who he really was when you were dating. He didn't date long enough to really see who he was. So, um, so mm. that was, wow, that was another. Admirable, because I think quite often, you know, it's the shame and the guilt or feeling stupid that can sometimes keep us in a relationship that isn't isn't a, a healthy relationship, can't it? Yes, it can. Shame and guilt are the two biggest things that keep people trapped for however long they end up, you know, being trapped. But, you know, you can get out of that. You don't have to be trapped. Um, you know, I encourage anybody who's ever feeling trapped to go find you know, a therapist or a pastor or somebody to really talk to and really start sorting things out. Um, you know, I do come from a faith background and what I do is is based totally on my relationship with Father God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And um, Father God does not want us to live in shame and guilt nowhere in his word, does it ever say anything about partnering with shame and guilt? He doesn't ever put shame and guilt on us. Now, I grew up in a church that put shame and guilt on you, but um, I sense have healed from that. 
as well and to have a healthy relationship. But a good therapist um, or pastor, even a good friend will say, you know, you have nothing to be ashamed of because you were leading with your heart. And whenever you're leading with your heart, you're just being honest and open. And that's really how we're supposed to be able to be. But shame and guilt traps us. Most certainly. Well, what lessons do you think you've learned from each of your relationships? If you go through them one by one, what do you think were the lessons that you got from? Because I do feel that even non-romantic relationships, we learn lessons, but certainly from, you know, our intimate relationships, we, we, we learn our biggest lessons. Yeah, we really do <laughs> learn our lessons from relationships. But, you know, relationships are, you know, they mirror things that you know, are good for us and things that we need to work on. My first marriage was, I was in a very unsafe situation in my home life. And I was just looking for somebody to love me and be stable. And he was very stable and said he loved me but he had a lot of wounds too and so those wounds really were were the demise of our marriage um because i believe he did love me when we first got married but i also believe that the wounds that he had and the wounds that i had from growing up caused us to not be able to be all that compatible he was very um introverted and i'm extroverted and so, so I learned that um, I could not, I was not a good match for someone who was very introverted. And then um, my rebound marriage was just because I just wanted to, I wanted to be loved. I wanted to feel loved. I did not feel love in my first marriage after a few couple, even after the first few weeks, you know, I, I felt like this is duty, you know, and doing things and um, of cleaning and doing all the chores and things like that, because he felt that those were women's chores. And so I did them. I grew up doing them because um, I took care of my dad and my brothers from the time I was eight years old. So I was used to doing all that. But I just wanted to be loved. Mm. And then when um, my rebound marriage was it did last 10 months but um there were a couple of things that came before me or anybody else in his life and that was golf and gambling so and he was he was not kind to my girls in fact he was actually mean and when i saw him being mean to my girls i that was the end that was the end of that um my third marriage that I thought would, would be forever, we, you know, we did everything well. We did do um, some shopping together. We did, um, he worked a lot, so he was very um, dependable that way, you know, and a good provider. But, uh, and we liked to go dancing and things. So when we were dating, we would go out and listen to live music and dance and just do a lot of fun things and you know and I really did feel like the way he treated me and the way he 
talk to me and everything that he really did love me. And I believe that he did for a while. But again, his wounds kept him from being the very best husband he could have been. And I was still dealing with some of my wounds. And um, so, you know, we ended up just one day, He, I had to do a meeting and I came home one evening and he just said, you know, I think we just need to get a divorce. We need to line them up. That was his words <laughs> and do a divorce. And we used this, we just did it paper, downloaded the paper on the computer and filled it all out. He paid the filing fees and that was the end of our marriage. So, so when I met husband number four, I thought I hit the trifecta because, um, he owned his own business, so he was an entrepreneurial-minded person, just like I am. He was a Christian, grew, grew up, he, was, he um, had a relationship. I just didn't realize it was the relationship he wanted. Um, anyway, with the Lord. And, um, and he seemed to be a good provider, you know, and we did a lot of fun things, you know, like to dance and all of that. So, um in my third marriage, after we got married, he didn't want to dance anymore. Like almost immediately after we got married. Well, that's interesting. So yeah. was he interested before you got married when, when you were dating? I mean, was he or I mean, was that something you introduced him to because it's something you loved? And do you think he just wanted to do it to please you sort of thing in that respect? Yeah. Or do you think those other things uh, relating to it? Yeah, I think he just danced with me because he knew how much I loved it. Oh. <clears throat> In one way, that's nice, but it's not not nice if he then doesn't want to continue with it. Yeah, and doesn't carry into the marriage. You're going, wait, wait, wait a minute. I've been down this road before. So, but I did, you know, I did think, well, you know, occasionally he would dance, but not very often. So anyway, so I've just learned a lot. And here's the thing that I've learned most of all is we're going to have wounds, you know, from early on. And, and our parents didn't mean to make those wounds or the teachers or the people, the kids at school, <clears throat> maybe you were bullied or whatever. Um, those wounds were perpetrated on you because of how you received them, because they were a violation to you some way, emotionally, physically, you know, whatever mentally so um so those wounds we carry into our relationships and our marriages and if we haven't healed from them then there will be little triggers from our spouses and those triggers will undermine our marriage and you can you have a choice to work on them together, because I guarantee they have some too. Um, or you can let them keep you captive in your relationship and not live the best relationship that you can have. So I am a certified life coach. And one of my exciting things to do is to work with couples who are really, um, you know, searching for that way of finding that healing so that they can move forward into a better relationship and marriage. So that's, um, I, uh, 
I have come to understand that I need to be my very best friend. I need to be as whole as possible emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically as I can before I can get into a relationship. I have now been single for 15 years and am in a relationship that I feel is probably the healthiest relationship I've ever been in before. We've gone eight months now. Wow, well done. (laughs) That's longer than some of my marriages. (laughs) (laughs) At least two of them. So, uh, but I, I know myself now and I've healed from those things so I don't trigger, uh, you know, as easily. And are there going to be things that come up? Absolutely, because we are human. But I know now how to deal with those things and how to um, make them not be a detriment to me or my, my, my boyfriend, significant other, whatever. Um, I feel at this age to call somebody your boyfriend is kind of like, Ah, well, I know. Anyway. <laughs> I, know I understand. <laughs> yeah. I understand. Yeah. So, anyway, but healing, you know, things that are the wounds that come to us are not our responsibility, but it is our responsibility to choose to heal from them. Absolutely. And I think some people, you know, when they become maybe unintentionally single or are unintentionally single, you know, because they really want love in their lives. Um, you know, sometimes exude that that uh, desperation and neediness, and that in, in itself is a red flag to yourself that that is what needs healing. Um, yep. So m- my advice would be, you know, for anybody that is in a si- situation where they are unintentionally single, you know, embrace that singleness and really look at probably what's happened in your previous relationships, whether that's romantic or otherwise, that has brought up. St- stuff in inverted commas for you because (laughs) those are the things that need healing and um, by working on them you're going to be in a far stronger better wiser position to attract a healthy relationship next time amen (laughs) (laughs) that is exactly right because um, you know two broken people come together does not make a whole person you need to be a whole person on your own before you can come together and make a whole relationship because really and truly it's a hundred percent, both people putting in not 50, 50 and um, to make it work. Yeah. I, I like to say that you need to be the, the, the cake and the icing on the cake and your relationship is just like the cherry on the top. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you know, your relationship is an extension of who you are individually as well as together. Yeah, and I think sometimes we quite easily want to point the finger of blame at our partner if things are going wrong. And it's quite a natural, I think, human response to do that. But, you know, the biggest thing and the kindest thing you can do for yourself is actually look at yourself and think, well, you know, how am I responsible for this being my current situation, isn't it? And ask that that key question. Yeah, and it's because, you know, it is it is a huge challenge to divorce to divorce a narcissist. Uh, how, did, how did that go, by the way? Because I'm assuming with it, you making that decision relatively quickly, it, it mm-hmm. must have really rocked his world to be suddenly, you know, on the end of your, that decision. Well, first of all, he tried to put the guilt trip on me, uh, saying, 
well, you're married to me now. And in the eyes of God, we're married and you can't divorce me. And I said, in the eyes of God, I am not going to be a verbal or a physical punching bag. And um, no, you did not present yourself as who you said you were. Um, and um, so as a result, I did not, I am not now married to the man I thought I was marrying. And so I, you know, I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I feel like I've already gotten it. And, you know, he tried every single way to guilt me into it, into not doing it or shaming me. And then it, then he became the victim. Well, you know, it was, you know, I was just not feeling myself, you know, on our honeymoon. I didn't feel, you know, I didn't sleep well, you know, and all of these things. And I just said, I just said, no, that you slept just fine. And, but you were abusive. You know, you were abusive. Nobody else was there, just you and I. <clears throat> I know you were abusive. So I am not going to, I did not stick it out this long to be married to somebody that's going to be abusive to me. I've, I've seen abuse. I've been abused. Not going to be part of it. Well done you. You know, it takes a bit bit of uh, wisdom and, and strength to actually make that big decision, especially right early on and, and not think, oh, well, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt this time and get suckered into a, another, you know, potential day, week or month and and repeat keep repeating that cycle yeah because they are very good at repeating those cycles in fact here in where i live when you go through a divorce whether you have children or not you do have to go through a mediation to see if the marriage can be repaired and he came in this guy was six one um you know medium build but not a small guy you know and came in and kind of hunched over. He had his uh, business manager with him. And because he said, I just couldn't drive to this today. I had to have somebody drive me today. And, you know, playing the victim, you know, because this has just torn me up. This has just really caused me some problems and in my health and everything. And the mediator saw right through it. It was awesome. And she goes, well, we're, we're happy that you're here. And so, you know, we each had our little things that she asked us questions and answered the questions. And then she finally, she just said, well, I don't see anything here that is really repairable. And I'm going to recommend the divorce. Excellent. And he, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, she filled out her paperwork, sent it into the court, and that was it. And and then about six months later, or not even six months, on Easter, and maybe it was about six months, probably four months actually, I had already had my birthday like a couple of weeks before Easter. And so, but he didn't acknowledge that. I kind of waited to see if there was going to be something but on Easter, he brought and put bedding plants on my front step saying, no, it was Mother's Day. It was Mother's Day, not Easter. Bedding plants on my front step for Mother's Day. And I was thinking, 
that is strange because I, A, am, we're not even married anymore. I just had my birthday a couple of weeks ago, and he didn't acknowledge that, but he did acknowledge Mother's Day. So he was looking for a mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, so to, for him to acknowledge that. So I did have a restraining order against him for about two years after our marriage, just so that he couldn't be anywhere around me because the, and that was a recommendation of the uh, mediator. So do you have any um, final words, Corey, to leave the audience with regarding the healing after being in a narcissistic relationship? Well, I really do recommend that you get a good counselor or pastor or friend that you can go to on a regular basis and just talk to, um, you know, you may have, you know, I recommend professional help because dealing with a narcissist is really a deep wounding a very deep wounding because it's so insidious it just you know they're they win you over and then they start becoming your enemy at times and um and you'll do anything to make them happy which is gets into that cycle and to break that cycle you need support absolutely need support so i recommend some professional help one way or the other um, I do have a handbook that I'm going to, you know, that can help you, give you some guidance through that process. But I do encourage you to reach out to somebody as well, because your mind will play tricks on you. It certainly does. Well, thank you so much, Kari. That's been really insightful talking to you about this very uh, emotive subject. Uh, and finally, I think you did say you got something for the audience to uh, yeah. leave them with a gift of some sort? Yes, it is um, a free handbook. It's Divorcing a Narcissist. And um, you can find it at http colon slash slash narcissistmarriagerecovery.info slash. And I will send you that link and you can put it with the podcast so because that's kind of a lot <laughs> it is a lot and i'll make sure as the audience always knows that that information together with uh, Corey's other contact information is included in the description and show notes so that anybody that wants to click on that and get that free product and gift thank you so much Corey. thank you it's been a pleasure talking with you and I just, I just hope that anyone out there who hears this and has been or is in a narcissistic relationship, that you just love yourself enough to be able to say, I'm not taking this anymore. I'm going to get rid of the shame and guilt. Because when you divorce a narcissist, you're also going to divorce the shame and the guilt that came with that relationship. Lovely words to leave that on. So thank you so much, Corey. Really appreciated having this discussion today. I'm sure that it's going to ring uh, a lot of bells for a few of the audience listening today and um, trust that that's going to be the start of them making that decision to reach out and um, 
get themselves removed from that situation. Amen. So thank you again, Lynn. It's been lovely. <laughs> You're very welcome. So it just leads me to say, true love starts with opening our hearts. And until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group, Two Hearts Entwined, or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn, or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.